0: Well, brethren, we're living in an extremely confused world, and I think you all recognize that. I get ahead of God in my own way. God's timing is perfect, and my timing is not perfect. But I wish with all my heart and sometimes cry out with all my heart for the prophetic events to speed up even more and to become even more obvious, especially for the sake of our young people, Because I know that there are thousands of young people in the church, not many thousands, but there are a couple of thousand at least around the world, and they need help. And when I say young people, I mean those under 30. Sometimes it could be even those under 35. Everyone under 50 is a young person to me, by the way, (laughs) as I get older. But I say, that young man. And then I realize, no, he's 47 or he's 52 or whatever he is. But at any rate, our young people have grown up in a different world than I grew up in and that they've grown up in a different world than most of you older people grew up in, and they're affected very much by that world, and if you reason with them, talk to them, uh, they don't fully get it because they cannot get it. They, they weren't there. They didn't experience it. They think, well, you don't understand. And, of course, we know, those of us who are older, that in some ways we don't understand exactly what they're going through, but in other ways, they don't understand the way so many millions and hundreds of millions of good and decent families lived and conducted their lives and were very, very happy and did not need all the gadgets and all the trinkets and all the excitement and all the lusts and all the vanities available to young people, which often hurts them today terribly. As I've told you before, and I really mean this, I thank God wasn't anything I did I just thank God that the first time I saw television in my entire life I was already 18 years old and I saw it in the lobby of the YMCA in Hollywood California my friend David Korn and I had hitchhiked it was safer to hitchhike back then by the way during and just after the war they would say, give a soldier a lift, you know, because there's a gas shortage and everyone didn't have cars and the soldiers were trying to go home to see their families or whatever. And so more people hitchhiked. And my friends friend and I, or other friends later, wore our Joplin High School t-shirt or I'd wear my YMCA t-shirt to make me look more innocent. I had psychology, but you know, how could you hurt them? You got a YMCA t-shirt and no guns, obviously, and so on. And so we hitchhiked all the way out there to get a job, and we did get temporary jobs, and then went on up to Oregon the last part of the summer to work in the woods. But that's another story. But for 18 years, I lived in a middle-class community where my mother knew the other mothers of the boys and girls I grew up with. And it was not a tiny town. 40,000 population swelled up to 55,000 during the war because we had the largest signal corps base on Earth just south of town, Camp Prouder. lots of excitement in that during those years, during my high school years especially, and uh, it wasn't dull and it wasn't nicey-nice. We saw fornication, I mean literally, I won't describe that, but we saw adultery, we saw drunkenness, we saw fighting. I remember one day we were driving, one Saturday night, driving around Main Street in that area, and there was this man, had this woman down on the sidewalk, And he apparently was hitting her, and she was screaming. And we were in Carter McKee's station wagon. We were on the kind of the inside, and we weren't next to the curb. And, of course, there were several of us playing football. I thought I was bigger than I was, but I was very confident because I'd been boxing. I said, whip around the block, Carter, and get near the curb. So he whipped around. We jumped out to save the woman. And we found the woman had the man down on the ground, (laughs) and she was hitting him with her shoe. (laughs) They were both pretty drunk and probably didn't know fully what they were doing. So we had some exciting days back there. I'm not describing all of it, but I just gave you a little bit of a picture. We didn't grow up in Disneyland or some church camp. We saw all kinds of things happening. And I had many different fights growing up. Not that I was in a gang like New York gang or something like that, but my friend Ducky would get in trouble. and I'd have to pull the guy off of him and throw him against the wall or on the ground because Ducky was smaller, but he had a smart mouth, and was always getting himself in trouble or whatever. One time I had to take a knife away from a guy and throw him on the ground because I practiced a little bit of judo and knew a little bit of that from fellows up from Camp Crowder that taught me some things besides boxing. I got kind of hysterical and was a little bit rough with him, but we had a normal, quote-unquote, life. We weren't nicey-nice, but we didn't even begin to start to commence to get into the things that kids get in today because we lived in a basically decent society and our families were decent and we had a sense of place, a sense of honesty, a sense of integrity that just around us, our mothers, our fathers, the school system, everything helped us to have that kind of life. And A lot of our young people have grown up where they've seen constantly and often experienced, even in God's church, the misuse of sex, the misuse of liquor, the misuse of drugs. And all kinds of things, the misuse of the television, the misuse of the Internet. And they've grown up in a world quite different from those of you who are over 60 or 70 or whatever, because you didn't have all that to fight. I didn't have all that to fight. If I'd had all that to fight, I might have done a lot of things I haven't done now. I understand that. I'm not looking down on any of you young people. I'm not just talking to you young people here. I'm talking to young people over in Perth, Australia that I met a couple of years ago, and you young people out in L.A., and you young people in the church in Kansas City, you young people in London and South Africa and all over the world, because this is being filmed. And I know our young people are all involved in this kind of thing, and it's pretty awful. You're growing up in a world that God calls Satan's world. It's not God's world. Back in the Methodist church, we used to sing, we little kids, this is my father's world. A lot of you have heard that old Protestant song. Well, it's not God's world. It is Satan the devil's world. And a lot of you sort of know it in a way, but you don't fully get it because you go along with a lot of the things in this world. You young people. You young people here and you young people around the world. Why are we here? What's our purpose in life? Turn with me to John. I don't normally start with this. I usually end with this. But let's turn to John 17. John chapter 17. Jesus' final prayer. The only complete prayer, in fact, that we have in the Bible from Jesus. He said, as he wound up, I do not pray for these alone. He'd been praying for his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me and the glory which you gave me, I have given them God is the one who speaks about those things that will be as though they already are. Because when God says he'll do something, nothing can stop it in all the universe. So it's already done as far as God is concerned for those who are willing to overcome and continue. He's made us that. And the glory which you have given me, I have given them. In God's plan. And he asked to have back again the glory which he had with the Father before the world was. The fantastic glory of the creator of the universe. That they all may be one just as we are one. I in them and you and me that they may be made perfect in one. And that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. And so he said here. In verse 23, I in them, and you in me. And that's the whole thing, brethren, and you young people. Christ is to live his life in us. It's not a matter of just attending church on Saturday with the church of God. not a question of just believing there is a God. It's a question of letting Christ live his life in you. And if you do that, then you will achieve the ultimate purpose of human existence. And that is to have the fantastic glory of the one who emptied himself to come down here to die for you and your sins. And he who has died for you as he died for me. And he will forgive our sins if we really repent. And repent means to profoundly change, to profoundly be sorry. And so sorry we turn around and go the other way with all of our hearts. But brethren, we have to understand that and young people have to understand that we're not here to play church. We are living at the end of an age. These things are beginning to happen. And I personally don't think we have more than 8 to 12 years left in this present society. That's not the doctrine of the church, but that's my basic belief. I think the tribulation will begin in that period of time, approximately. So a lot of you may have about another 10 years left to get married and have some children and so on, which could be protected from the from the horrible things. If you're in God's church and you have His protection for another three and a half years of this physical life, it's not like the world's going to end tomorrow. But these things are beginning to happen. We tell you about them often. Dr. Monell talked about them last time in the fine sermon he gave. Things are happening all over the world. Big things that we've talked about for generations, actually. And I've lived through some of those generations since I came in the church back in 1956 Back in Genesis chapter 1, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He started everything. And the one who did that was God, the family of God, God the Father, and the one we call Jesus Christ. God the Word, the spokesman, the logos or spokesmen working together. And as you know, the first four or five verses of the gospel of John, saying the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. All things were made by Him and without Him nothing made that was made. Christ made everything. And so we read here about this recreation of the earth and then how He created the land and brought it up out of the sea, put the plants on it, the animals on it, finally humans in verse 26, then God said, let us, more than one, God's family, God is reproducing himself. He wants a family. He wants you as his son. He wants you as his daughter. And he wants you to be like him and reflect him, young people. He said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. We're made in the general form and shape of God. And yet we have mental capacity and the capacity of creative imagination. Awesome abilities that other creatures don't have at all because we're made like God. And let them have dominion from the beginning, We were to be given the opportunity to rule all the things around us. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He meant man in the generic sense. Mankind, male and female are made in God's image. Then God blessed them, and that was a blessing. He said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion again, rule. And so he made man and woman, and he made man and woman for each other from the beginning. And he created marriage in his purpose and will from the very beginning. Over in chapter 2, verse 18, the ever-living God said, It is not good that man should be alone. Man is not able to be balanced. He's not able to do all the things he should do without a wife. Some few do, of course. I'm not trying to condemn the bachelors. Christ was a bachelor. The apostle Paul may have been a bachelor, although he probably was married and his wife died in childbirth or something because he had been a member of the Sanhedrin and normally they had to be married to be there, but he wasn't married during his ministry. But normally it's not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper comparable to him, not down under his shoe where he can grind her down and treat her like dirt, but comparable to him, of the same type, of the same level of existence. Yes, he's given slightly greater physical strength, a stronger personality, greater creative imagination, if he will use that. Many men don't use that. Certain women have more capacity than the men. They're outstanding. But on average, men have more. That's why men have been the rulers, not just in the Christian world or the Jewish world where they have the Bible. But in China, India, you just go over the world. I've been there. Man is the leader. God made man for that purpose and made woman to be a helper to man. I will make a helper. Many women are not taught that. They want to fight the man, compete with the man. And a lot of you young girls, you can't help it. The society is geared to where the man doesn't automatically just inherit his father's farm and start working or go into his father's business where he can get married at age 19 or 21 or 23 or something. He has to go on to college and go on to college and he can't get married because he doesn't have any money. And you have to go out and work. And it's, the society is geared that way where you're supposed to work and you're supposed to be different take care of yourself and compete with men in the workforce and so on. It's not your fault. But it has created a pretty perverted society when you understand it. And when you see what's happened sexually and in drugs and in liquor and in the breakdown of the family and in the homosexual lifestyle that's creeping all through our society affecting men and women almost equally horrible mess we're getting into and God's going to stop it he's going to stop it and the whole world's going to change in a few years when he turns the whole thing around but the woman was made to be a help and Adam looked around at all the animals and there was not found a helper comparable to him so then the rib which God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her and Adam could say yes this was his equal someone just like him This is now bone of my bones, verse 23, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called Isha. The Hebrew word is Isha, which means from Ish, because she was taken out of Ish. The woman, really, at the beginning, taken out of man. And then all since that time, ever since that time, man comes out of woman, because the woman bears the man as the mother Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. They're to become one flesh in marriage and that is to be respected and honored in every way. And yet people will take that sex drive and that sex difference, they cheapen it, they drag it right down the sewer pipe and then after they dragged it it and dragged it through the sewer pipe they say it stinks. Yes, it stinks if it's misused But if it's used properly in marriage, it's something very honorable to God and very beautiful and causes a man and a woman to love each other, to cherish each other, to appreciate life more, to help them get over the hurts and the stresses they might have without that and without the children coming along and the whole thing that the family involves. But it's something God made and we cheapen that to our peril. But God made man and woman for each other for a great purpose. You turn back to Ephesians I just say again to you young people all around the world, listen up. And you old people, you need this too because a lot of you have cheapened God in your marriage and in your life, and some still are. You need to be able to help the young people as well. Because my one sermon is not going to do it. It's going to take a whole bunch of fathers and mothers, hundreds of them, and uncles and aunts and grandparents and everybody else to help the young people, encourage them, teach them, guide them, pray for them. Chapter 5 of Ephesians. Turn in your New Testament to Ephesians chapter 5. It says, wives, verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. It's quite a command. That doesn't go over too well in our modern society. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. And so it pictures Christ and the church. Again, these things are put here for tremendous purpose. And if we cheapen all that and we go around cheapening sex and we go around cheapening the whole idea of marriage and we enter into marriage or enter into sex to get to please our temporary pleasures, we want instant gratification like a little baby. You know, a little baby has no sophistication whatever. Whenever they need to go to the bathroom or wet themselves or whatever, they'll just start crying if they're uncomfortable, yelling right out in church and the mother has to jump up and take them all off or they'll start crying if they're hungry. They don't care who's around. They don't understand, because they're a little baby. But adult human beings, even young adults, ought to have been told to wait until it's time to eat, to wait until it's time to have sex, to learn to drink liquor very carefully, perhaps have one glass of wine or two at the most, with a meal, in a right way, for a right purpose. They ought to have been taught all of that and understand that, that they're like little babies. They watch television. They watch this garbage on the internet. Completely naked women with mother women writhing around. Exciting seeing beautiful young women's bodies writhing around. But it certainly puts these rotten thoughts in young men's minds to see this stuff. I didn't have to put up with that when I grew up, but the young men today do. And it does have an effect. That's why we are adults, and you parents who can control your children, while you can control them, please keep them away from television. Don't let them have unrestricted use of television. Don't let them have unrestricted use of the Internet. They will see things that would blow your minds if you're not used to what they can find on there. I wasn't until I was shown it by a couple of others because I'm not into the Internet. But... All kinds of young men are from age about 12 or 14 on. They know which buttons to, push. they could get right in there and see everything that I never saw for the first, uh, probably still have never seen, but for the first 68 or 70 years of my life till my wife showed me a little bit, (laughs) just let me realize what's happening out there. Never saw anything like that. I knew it was existing, but to see it, to put those images in your minds. You put those images in your minds over and over again, you kids out there, and you think, ha, ha, well, he doesn't understand. No, I do understand. I'm God's minister. And I'm telling you on the authority of Christ, if you put that kind of evil in front of your minds and those mental pictures in front of your minds over and over, it does have an effect. Just like seeing people kill each other and kill each other in all these movies and seeing people committing fornication in all these movies or adultery or whatever, it does have an effect. It begins to sear your minds and the sensitivity that you ought to have to something like that. Oh, that's awful. Let's turn that, let's leave. That's not there anymore. And then it does affect your actions. It looks normal. They make it look normal on this television. These talk shows they have and people get on and they're homosexuals or they're weirdos in some way and they describe it and the host or hostess, oh, well, that's interesting and talk some more. And nobody gets up and says, let's grab some rocks, take them out and stone them. <laughs> you know, I'm not saying that's what we ought to do. But in ancient Israel, God told them to do that until the Holy Spirit came. He commanded them to do that. That's what God thinks of it. It's an abomination, God says, an absolute abomination. They are cheapening everything God intended in sex. They're cheapening everything God intended in life. They're cheapening the human body that's to be destroyed and beat up and all these Films that show people killed and shot and tortured and disemboweled and everything else right in front of your eyes and the blood gurgling out. Stuff that we didn't see. Again, when I was growing up, we got to go to the Saturday afternoon matinee. We didn't know about the Sabbath. And we'd see how Papa Long Cassidy chasing the Indians or something, or, you know, whatever. And we never saw anything up close or any blood squirting out or anything like that at all. And in the end, often... Tom Mix or the cowboy hero would, instead of kissing the woman or taking her to bed, as they show today, he would simply pat his horse on the flank and ride off into the sunset. (laughs) Instead of kissing his girl, he'd kiss the horse. He didn't really kiss the horse, but you know what I mean. What a different society. You think about it. Marriage is a type of Christ in the church. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives. And you young men, if you're thinking of women, don't just think of their bodies, think of this human being. As one of our former deans in Ambassador College was told by his father, a very wise man, he said, John, the man's name is not John, I'm describing that for the protection of the innocent here. <laughs> he, said, he said, John, he said, when you marry a woman, realizing you're marrying a human personality that happens to be attached to a female body a human personality now i would i would change one word it doesn't happens to be attached it had better be attached <laughs> you don't want to marry a male body <laughs> but you're marrying a human personality do you love that personality do you like and enjoy that person's mind and talking with them and sharing with them your plans your hopes your dreams do you respect them in that way not a matter of just having the female body. What does it show on television? What does it show on movie? Most of the time it just describes, shows the woman and the female body part of it and lust and instant gratification and all this stuff dwells on that. It cheapens everything. And the more you pour and pour that stuff in your mind, the more profoundly you're, you're, you're affected by it. Love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Be willing to like this person enough that you support them, you protect them during the time their belly's swelling up and they're getting ready to have a child and maybe they're having morning sickness and throw up and feel bad. You know, when my wife was about to have our first child, she was just happy and blooming the whole nine months. She could not have been happier. It's amazing. But then I know of other women, they're sick almost the whole nine months and they seem just as healthy as she did. It just depends on the particular makeup of the body. Your wife is sick nine months. She doesn't feel good. She feels very unromantic. She feels very tired. She feels very everything. Do you love her? Or are you going to go running off with some other woman? She may be sick later and out of commission for weeks or months or years at a time. What about you? You might be all that way too. When you're married and you learn to love another human being, you'd better love them. Love doesn't mean lust. Love doesn't mean sexual attraction. Now, love may include sexual attraction at the time you're getting ready to get married and think about that. That's not wrong at all. But that's not the only thing by any means. And should not necessarily be the main thing, frankly. It should be the whole personality. I remember Dr. Zimmerman. We used to call him Dr. Z and and uh, Mrs. Nestor may have been there and heard that sermon in the auditorium. I don't know, look around to see who else might have been there in the house of God. But he talked very movingly, Mr. and Mrs. Pyle might have heard it, about how he had to take care of his wife. You know, she had all these things wrong with her, and he had to bathe her and feed her and take care of her for years before, I guess, she died. Yeah, he's still living, I guess, although in kind of a nursing home. But he says, that woman helped me for years and years and gave and gave and gave and gave and I took and took and took and took and now I'm having to give back to her. It's very moving. <laughs> it brought tears to my eyes. You're there to take care of each other when you're married in sickness or health until death do you part and to have that profound Genuine love and outflowing concern you young people today aren't taught very much about that by Hollywood because Hollywood does not understand that they don't get it and the fruits show that and the very actors and actresses that look so sexy and oh they're so wonderful and you see them and you know so and so is just extremely happy and it'll have them on the front page of people magazine or other magazines and what normally happens six months or three years later they're all split up Oh, they were so wonderful. The ideal Hollywood marriage. Yeah, sure. They don't have any idea what real marriage ought to be about. Most of them. They can't show you that. And these smart directors and producers, they just want to make a quick buck and they make make it sound exciting, look exciting. So they'll show some sex and violence to get everyone in there to make money. That's what it's all about. Love your wives. As Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Learn to give and give and give and help with kindness and mercy and service. Your husband, your wife. And go on with that thought in mind. I love this other human being. I want to give to them, to help them, to serve them and genuinely mean that. That's what love is all about. Not saying they have a female body. Yes, half the human race is he- female. I have refused to, to tell the fellows that in college. You know, they grow up at a certain point. They, wow, I've discovered sex and women are pretty. Yeah, that's nice. Half the human beings on earth are female. They all have female bodies. Get used to it. It's exciting in a way, I guess, but you better get used to it and learn to see it in the larger context. We're all human beings and we're all made in the image of God. Not to look on women just as sex objects and women being willing to go along with men because women do tend to follow some of them don't even in the right way but then most of them are just led into this and that deceived into doing this and that you read about it all the time men take advantage of them and they should not do that but the women should not allow that and the parents ought to be more careful who their child is with and what they're doing a lot of parents let their children just wander off and go over here or there and they don't even know where they are or what they're doing And I know when I grew up again, the girls didn't ever, ever go into a boy's home without the mother and father being there. They never, ever did that. They wouldn't think of going into a boy's bedroom at any time. And we weren't allowed to do that or think about that with the girls either. Because my mother's good friends, Mrs. Troutman and Mrs. Ditson and Mrs. English and Mrs. Morgan Thayer, they all knew each other, the bridge club. So if I tried to do something bad with Catherine or... Janet Babb or Rosemary Wadley or Ann Morgan theater, then they'd be on the line with my my mother and boy I'd be in trouble my dad would confront me and when I got home it would be bad bad news all the way around I would be a scoundrel looked down on like a crook in the whole society which was good it was good it helped me not to do stupid stuff that I probably would have done otherwise I was normal I was interested and you yourself are supposed to come out of this world, you young people and all you older people too. You're not to be part of this world. And God help us to understand that. Turn to 1 Thessalonians now with me. 1st Thessalonians, a very important thing here affecting our courtship and marriage. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 finally then brethren we i'm, I'm uh, yeah we urge and exhort you uh exhort in the lord jesus that you should abound more and more just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please god we're supposed to learn to walk with god and please god for you know what commandments yes the apostles gave commandments back then to people they didn't water it down. This is not a friendly suggestion. They said this is a commandment from Almighty God. You know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Your setting apart for holy use, your call to be like God if you're in God's church. That you should abstain from fornication, as it says in the King James, or sexual immorality <coughs> in the New King James. Fornication, wild use of sex, technically sex outside of marriage by, between two young people, but it can include, you know, something beyond adultery, harlotry, just carrying on and on. That each of you should know how to possess, or as it is in the Greek, to acquire for himself. Some of the Greek scholars say that's a better translation, to acquire for himself his own vessel, and sanctification and honor. You don't acquire your wife by seeing how far you can go with her in the back seat of a car somewhere in the dark to be very plain about it or in her apartment with the parents gone or whatever. That's not the way to find out how you're in love or should be married. Not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Well, the Gentiles out in Hollywood and the Gentiles all around here who are spiritual Gentiles, they don't know God. Their God has not called them. I understand that. We're not getting down on them as such. When they're called, they may do a better job than you do and I do. Some of them are very zealous and sincere with what they know, but they don't know what we know. And we are held responsible. You're held responsible for the knowledge that you have and actions. Bring about consequences. And you'd better be willing to accept the consequences of your actions when you start messing around with drugs and drink and sex. Actions do bring on consequences. And God help us to wake up and realize that. Not in the passion of lust, stirred up by rotten television watching for years where your mind is seared and you learn to just think of girls as cheap and sex objects and same thing on the internet and all these other places that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we forewarned you and testified. What do you mean defraud your brother? Well, I made, you know, mistakes in high school of kissing and necking and doing things I shouldn't have done. But when I got an ambassador college, I was extremely sincere and too strict in certain ways, Perhaps. But I was always glad later that even though I dated Marge Dennis and so many others, without naming all the girls, I guess they shouldn't do that. But I never kissed them. You see, you're afraid of kissing girls. No, I kissed a lot of them in high school. But I was taught by Mr. Armstrong it was better not to kiss until you had some sincere thought in your mind about marriage. And so later on when Marge married Jim Friddle, Mr. Jim Friddle who became a pastor-ranked minister and Mary Jo Wadley married Mary Jo Burroughs, married uh, Al Dennis who became a pastor-ranked minister and so many others I dated, I could look them right in the eye. I had never even kissed their wife when I dated her, several others. Not once. Not once. And I'm glad of that. Was I disinterested in sex? No. Was I disinterested in women? No. I just realized it was not the thing to do, and so I did not do that. Period. One girl grabbed me and kissed me uh, at one time. I'm pretty ugly. I don't know why she did, but I was seeing her off at the Los Angeles uh, bus station and took her down there, and she just kind of kissed me right on the lips, but it kind of embarrassed me. But uh, I think she was giving me a message but I sensed she was a little bit wild and instead of being excited I, I, I'd known wild girls in high school it kind of scared me in a sense I thought well okay but I'm not going to be dating her next year because I, I, she, she did she did exactly what I thought she would do she didn't finish college she dropped out of college lived with a man for a year or two and then went off and married someone else and left the church and everything. I sensed that was part of her makeup, so in that sense, that scared me off, not just the fact she kissed me. I don't mean that. That's not so awful. I mean, but it's uh, the way she did it and her general makeup was a little bit too forward to suit me because we were taught a different way of life, and obviously she didn't get it, not just in that one instance. But you need to learn a way of life to acquire for yourself your mate your wife your husband in honor and i would tell all of you young men out there try to learn what proper dating is like some young men make fun of that today because they've done it the other way but it's sure better to be able to take a girl out sometimes with the group or to a nice place with no kissing and no necking and just take her to a a dance or to dinner or for a walk around the block and talk and visit and this and that or go with another couple or two up to the mountains and hike in the afternoon and visit and talk and get acquainted with this other human being. You know that they're female or male and they know that you're female. You figured that out already. But you need to know what do they think about? What are their standards? What is their character? Is this young woman the kind of person you want to be the mother of your children? Is she genuinely balanced? Is she in good health? Is she dedicated? Is she clean? Is she alert, capable? Is this young man the man you want to be the father of your children? You girls need to ask yourself, does he have good character? Do you see Jesus Christ reflected in him? Is he totally selfish, all wrapped up in self? Is he impatient or will jump down your throat if you do something that he doesn't like? Is he a giver or is he a getter? Is he just out to see how much he can get from you romantically, sexually, or whatever. Or is he actually wanting to help you and re- be acquainted with you and encourage you in your Christian life whether you marry him or not? Think all those things through before you commit to something because marriage is a binding commitment, ought to be, till death does your part. So learn to acquire for yourself your mate, you see, in the right way. And God tells you that, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother. And you better be sure you don't do the same thing. And you girls had better be sure you don't do the same thing. Leading men on or making yourself so available, too available. Where men see that you're just wide open to kiss and neck and squeeze and so on and they think well that's what she wants so I'm going to give it to her and yes they will too and don't kid yourself for God did not call us to uncleanness but to holiness God wants us to be like he is and we better really understand that therefore he rejects this does not reject man you're not rejecting my opinion but God who has also given us his holy spirit this message is for those in the church and those of you young people who've grown up in the church or attend church and know about the true God. God's Spirit may not be in you yet, but it certainly may be with you and you're aware of it and you're aware of the truth and you need to be acting on that truth. Don't treat it cheaply. This kind of wrong courtship and this kind of constant television watching and internet watching and that kind of thing can lead to incalculable damage. You can't begin to realize the depth of the hurt that it can cause if some of you doing that get venereal disease and slowly, agonizingly die a slow, horrible death and the drugs and the cocktail drugs they get to you aren't giving you enough for a time and you die an awful death. Yes, they've got the new cocktail drugs that help the AIDS people not suffer as much. But a lot of times they don't work. Sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. But all these venereal diseases are increasing as you know. And the whole continent of Africa is almost getting decimated in certain areas because of that. Let's not kid ourselves. You see that on television. You know what I'm talking about. Little babies brought into the world without their father being there. Actions have consequences. You say, well, it's not all the time. I know that. But I'll tell you, as these drugs begin to be overused, a lot of them are going to reach the point where they're not effective anymore. If you've read the articles... And during the end of this age, of course, they're going to have massive disease epidemics. The doctors and hospitals will be overwhelmed. They won't be able to treat all these things. A lot of the drugs won't do any good. They'll do more harm than good, some of them. Some of their drugs will do some good, but they won't have enough of them. I'm not condemning the doctors. I'm just telling you what's going to happen and who's going to protect you for experimenting with free sex and liquor and drugs. You'll have no protection from the God that I serve unless you learn to begin to obey that God and honor that God in your lives and the way you live and the way you conduct yourselves, all of you, and you older men and women and the way you do with your marriage and your mate and the way you use liquor and sex and whether you tell the truth or not or steal or take advantage of others in any way. All of us need to understand this. God did not call us to uncleanness but to holiness. Now, brethren, we need to really try to honor God in the way that we date others, in the way we have courtship. Try to do it in an honorable way. Go out, you girls, with the young men that with honorable intentions and or with a small group. It doesn't have to. You could go out alone at times if it's in a proper setting and right back. You see, that sounds old-fashioned. Yes. Maybe it is old-fashioned, but that's the way it ought to be. And we need to understand that. We need to guide our children's lives more than most of us have. I didn't even guide my older children's lives as well as they should. I'll just tell you, you've got to be to put, put your foot down once in a while. I talked to one of the leading ministers several years ago, when we're all together and worldwide, I mean, and warned him that his daughter was being taken out of school by one of the administrators. I said, look, John, his name was not John, I'm just picking on John here. <laughs> I said, you're a father and I'm a, I'm a father. I'm putting my job on the line. I won't tell you the circumstances. I was taking a a risk by telling him this because of who was involved. But I said, I'm telling you what's happening so you can watch out. And for me, I'd be getting my baseball bat or something. He knew I would too, but he didn't do anything. Later, anyway, his daughter ran off. But some people are weak. They just let things happen. And I've made my mistakes, and all of us have, but you parents do what you can while you can, and you young people realize it's going to be you that suffer, not just your parents. You will suffer the most in the end if you callously hurt your mind and your whole emotional reactions to where marriage does not mean what it ought to have meant because you've been down that road too many times with too many people and it's not special. It's not special and you're not binding yourself to another human being in love as an as a, as a act of dedication before God in the marriage ceremony. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Let's turn there for a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. Paul writes, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators. Oh, some young people think, well, commandments against adultery. I can go ahead and sleep with other kids. They're not married. No. God talks about fornication. And when you understand it in context and the way it's worded and where it's put, even back in the old covenant, you can see it's the principle, it's the spirit of adultery. It's the same thing. You're defiling your future marriage is what you're doing. You're cheapening yourself and cheapening the other person and cheapening the whole act of sex and taking it outside of marriage and dragging it through a sewer pipe. And it stinks. So God says, don't do that. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals. All these ministers say, shall we ordain homosexuals as ministers? The question ought not be, shall we ordain them? The question should be, should they be even in church in the first place? Or should they be taken out and stoned, if you follow me? What a leap. First, God says, stone them. And then they say, well, don't stone them. We'll leave them around. But don't worry too much. And then the next step is let's ordain them as ministers. Wow. How far we have come. How far we have come. Since I grew up, we used to run them out of town. And we didn't stone them because <laughs> that would, we'd got us, of course, in trouble. But we felt like it, I guess, sometimes. But we didn't understand. Neither homosexuals nor adulterers nor sodomites nor thieves nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. They won't be there. Why? God doesn't want that kind of people in his kingdom. You say, well, God's self-righteous and I'll never get in the kingdom. Yes, you can repent. God says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. That's Acts two thirty-eight and 9. Yes, I'm quoting that from memory because I know that one pretty well. That's what you need to do in time. Be sure you do it sincerely though, not play act, because that won't do you any good either. And such were some of you, Paul says. Yes, God forgives people. Some of the Corinthians did those things. But you were washed, you were sanctified, set apart by God for holy use. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. He says down here in verse 18, Flee sexual immorality. Brethren, and you young people wherever you are on this earth, listening to this at any time, and you young people here, how do you flee sexual immorality? Do you flee that by being alone in a dark room with someone else of the opposite sex alone? That's not the way to flee immorality or go out on lover's lane in the back seat of the car or something like that. That's not the way to flee immorality. You flee it by staying away from those situations. Don't get in those situations, period. You flee it by not being around with people that you know are involved in that kind of thing. You say, well, I might not have as many friends. Well, but God will give you friends to make up for those bad friends if they can't behave themselves. Flee sex. Years ago, Richard David Armstrong, this is 1950, Richard David Armstrong, Mr. Armstrong's older son, and Raymond Cole, he was one of the oldest students of the early pioneer students. He was the oldest. And uh, trying to think of the other person, oh, Herman Hay, of course, Herman Hay, and I went down with Dick and his, uh, I don't think it was Raymond Cole, I think it was uh, Herc, Owen Smith. But anyway, we went down to Ensenada, and you go through Tijuana, which is just south of San Diego, then you go on further down to Ensenada. Now, Tijuana in those days, with as they said, no reflection on it today, it's much bigger, but just a big whorehouse. It was mainly places where the American sailors would go, and so on. So we went on through Piawana. We didn't even stop there. We went on to Ensenada, which was a little bit nicer. And we stayed in a little uh, tourist hotel. And I think we ate right there, a restaurant nearby, I believe, right there. But they had uh, they had a nice little dining room. And, and some of the uh, young women were uh, dancing, these Mexican dances, you know, whether they're like this and whirling around and so on. Nothing bad at all. They were fully clothed and everything. And we were sitting there and enjoying that. And Herman Hay though was there, and he was of course very dedicated, and he was afraid. I guess this girl was whirling and showing a little bit of her legs, so he simply picked up his cane chair and turned it around like this, and he looked. He stayed there till the dancing was over. He said, "Herman, it's all right there." I say, "Well, you know." And then the next morning, we were sleeping a little later, some of us, and Herman Hay grew up on the farm. So he was always an early riser, and I, I live with him. He was my first roommate, and I love him and admire him so much. Taught me a lot of things, but very studious and well-organized, but he was always up by 5.30 or quarter till 6. He just automatically got up you know, with the chickens, as we say, because he grew up on a chicken farm up near Santa Rosa, California. And so he uh, was up and out by the time the rest of us got up at 7.30 or whenever it was, and he came back running and panning. He was literally out of breath, and his face was kind of red. And we said, what happened, Herman? And he said, he was propositioned by some of these whores. Apparently, they are up that early, which is kind of surprising. And uh, he said, these women propositioned me, or I forget what term he used. That really embarrassed him. He never had that happen in his entire life. And then he said, he was excited. He wasn't trying to be self-righteous. He says, God says, flee fornication. So he literally ran. (laughs) He ran. And he was out of breath. Well, we can make fun of Herman, but I tell you, he did the right thing. I'd rather see him like that than say, well, you know, we might not get caught and maybe I won't get venereal disease and maybe, maybe, maybe. Yeah, sure. He ran because he said, the Bible says, flee fornication. And I thought that was something interesting. It was amusing to us, us kids that were a little bit more liberal, but... We weren't into fornication either, but we weren't that scared, I guess, as he was, but he was very sincere, and I always remembered that and appreciated that example, frankly. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. In other words, he's using his own emotions and his own body in an unusual way, and it is that way. I don't want to get into all the aspects of it, but... You know, it does involve your heart, your mind, uh, your personality, and certain things beyond almost any other sin you can commit. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Your body is supposed to be the dwelling place of God's Holy Spirit. Your body doesn't belong to you. If you're a Christian, it belongs to Jesus Christ. He has bought and paid for you. Your body is the temple, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God. And you are not your own. You do not belong to yourself. You have no right to take your body and join it to some woman over here, some young girl or some young man or whatever. Doesn't belong to you. For you were bought with a price. God himself came down out of heaven and died a horrible death so that you could be forgiven. And then you go right back in the slop pit and get right back in the middle of sin and dishonor everything Jesus Christ did when you do that kind of thing. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, in your mind, in your attitude, in the thoughts that you let go through your mind. Remember, you're supposed to bring every thought into captivity to Christ. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. Every thought. Don't let your mind dwell on sex and pictures of naked women. Don't let your mind dwell on on uh, violence and that kind of thing. It can affect you very, very much if you think about those things and see those things. I may have told you this before. I made my share of sins. I remember one time seeing some really violent movie and I was still in college and not that far from my golden gloves boxing days. And we came out of this violent movie on Colorado Street... And those of you from Pasadena know that's the main street and this movie was right there at that time. So we came right out on Colorado and, and this other guy that I was with was nice, but he was weak and whatever. I was the only normal size one and had been boxing and all. But anyway, these guys started walking right at us like they were going to walk right over us. And I stood there. I got both hands out of my pockets. I remember I had them in. And I thought one move and you're gone. I'm going to knock them out, you know, whatever. <laughs> they came toward me. But I had just been baptized a few months earlier, and I was new. I was weak. And after they got by, they parted, but I just kind of looked at them, you know, okay, fellas, you ready? I'm ready. And they saw that, and they went around us. And afterward, I thought, Rod, you're a rat. You are acting unchristian. You were ready to smite them right in the face which what you should not have done. And I repented right there on the sidewalk because I had a wrong attitude. I had been seeing this movie about violence and it rubbed off on me and I came right out within two minutes after getting outside. There they were and uh, so on. But anyway, it shows you how quickly you can be affected even after you're converted. You all know that, but sometimes it's good to help you think about it. These things do have an effect on your minds all of us so we need to think very very much about these things let's turn back to Revelation chapter 21 now brethren Revelation chapter 21 if you would and here we find a very profound statement from God himself and something all of you and you young people please think of this I'm not trying to frighten you in a wrong way but I'll tell you what is the first thing that God tells us about wisdom the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. That's what it is. And a lot of you don't have the fear of God or you would not do the things that you're doing. God is not totally real to you and you've not focused on the reality of God and the imminence of God. By imminence, I mean He's right here. He's close. He's real. And we need to understand that. And that right fear of God is a very healthy thing. It's not wrong at all to have that. First, This is Revelation 21, verse 7. God tells us, He who overcomes shall inherit all things. Boy, the blessings you're going to have later on in the kingdom of God and going all throughout the universe enjoying a whole kingdom, a family based on love and joy and peace and creativity and accomplishment and no bad attitudes, no sickness, no death. Nothing. Joy and peace all day long. And I will be his God and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, God doesn't appreciate when we're cowardly and we go along and just join up with whoever's in charge if they're teaching against the truth like some did back in Worldwide. The unbelieving, making excuses so you don't believe. You don't follow what God says. The abominable, the murderers, sexually immoral. God puts that right in there with murderers, sexually immoral or fornicators as it is in the King James sorcerers God hates that people that go by the horoscopes and go to demons and wanting their idea about the future because that turns you to another God sorcerers idolaters and all liars some people will do something and then to cover up for that they will lie and then they will lie to cover up that lie no I really mean that I didn't do that then they'll lie some more liars which uh, they shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. That's the eternal death. You can never be resurrected from that death, the second death. These people will have that unless they come to a genuinely heartfelt repentance long before. And let's understand that. This is the mind of God. I'm not a bad guy. I'm just telling you what God says. And He says that and He means it too. Turn back to Luke now. Chapter 13, Luke uh, chapter 13, if you would. And let's begin here in verse 23. Then one came to Jesus, Lord, are there few who are saved? Why are there so few of us in this little tiny hall here? Because God is not trying to save the world now. If he were, he would be saving everybody. He's not trying to. Few are there who are saved. And he said, strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say, will seek to enter and will not be able. You don't just float into God's kingdom. You've got to put forth a little bit of effort, brethren. You've got to want to be in God's kingdom with all your heart. You've got to go above and beyond. You've got to do some genuine reading and study of this book. And you kids who grew up in the church don't think that's beyond you. You've heard it all your life, yeah, but you would better learn to read this book. That's where you get it. Read and read and read this book and study it and meditate. Go back over this chapter or two you've read and think about what it really means and then pray to God on your knees and ask God for understanding and ask God for the true knowledge and ask God for the strength to help you do what God says in the Bible. Not complicated, but you've got to do it. Strive. Work at it drive yourself to enter the narrow gate for many I say will seek to enter and they will not be able when once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door and you begin to stand outside at the door saying Lord Lord open for us we grew up in the church we heard the truth we heard Mr. Meredith or we heard Mr. Armstrong preach as we used to say and we know all this yeah sure but what did you do what did you do he will answer and say I do not know you where you're from And then you'll begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence. so, see, Christ, uh, we even saw you. And so on. And uh, you taught in our streets. We were around you. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you where you are from. Depart from me, all you workers of fornication, of homosexuality, of adultery, of misuse of drugs, Misuse of liquor, of lying, the whole worldly lifestyle that will not fit you to live forever in God's kingdom. That's what iniquity is. Carelessly breaking God's Sabbath, not really keeping the Sabbath day. And you know it's a holy day. You know it's holy time, but you go gadding around and do your own pleasure. Or God's holy day. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. Then there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves thrust out. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. I remember so well, I used to preach fiery sermons and sermons that were stronger than I would even preach today. Perhaps... Mr. and Mrs. Apartin or a few of the older brethren might remember those, and I perhaps overdid it, talking about Hitler's ovens by Olga Lengel and describing what these people went through under Adolf Hitler. It's horrible. The suffering, the suffering, and the beating with rubber truncheons, and the rape, and the human ignominy to which these people were treated day after day after day. So when God tells you back in Deuteronomy that at the time finally, you know, in the tribulation, you'll hear steps coming or even blown leaves will scare you. When you hear a noise, you'll think, maybe they're coming for me. And back at that time, they would literally go to the bathroom in their pants. They were so scared. They didn't know what horrible suffering when they heard men's boots approaching. Just that kind of life. And they'd say, "Oh, to God. It were evening. Oh, to God, it were morning, he says. That's the way you're going to think. I wish we got through this night now. I wish we could get through this day without another beating, without another horrible thing, without some of our friends being taken out and tortured in front of us or humiliated in front of us. It's not fun stuff. God's going to help this nation repent in a way they have never repented. They're going to get rid of their smart-illic attitudes. But you're going to have to get over this stuff, and I mean it. And I'm not exaggerating either. Not one bit. These things are going to happen. And there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 4, in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and beginning in verse uh, 25, he talks to our ancestors, talking on down a prophetic prophecy here, prophetic message for then and for now today as you'll see. He tells our ancestors back here, the ancient Israelites, and this affects all of us living in America and Britain and the British nations, we're all going to be affected with the Great Tribulation, whether we're Jew or Gentile or whatever we are. When you beget children and grandchildren, yes, I've done that. A lot of you older people have done that. And have grown old in the land and act corruptly. God has given us so much and we're all blessed. And make a carved image in the form of anything. Well, we don't do that. That's right. In the New Testament church, we basically don't do that, but we have our images, we have our idols, we have our television, we have our cars, we have these things we just let take us right off into paganism and into wrong attitudes about sex and violence and everything else. So the principle is there. I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that you will soon utterly perish from the land which you cross over Jordan to possess. You will not prolong your days in it, but you will be utterly destroyed And the eternal will scatter you among the peoples and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. You'll be left few. And God's going to cause that to happen. He did cause that to happen to ancient Israel. But how much more today when you read the story about the great tribulation back in Ezekiel chapter 5 and 6 and on through the whole book talking about the end time great tribulation primarily and in... Jeremiah chapter 30 and 31, again talking primarily about the end time rebel, uh, tribulation very clearly. And Matthew 24, verses 21 and 2, a time of trouble so awful there's never been a time like it, nor ever shall be. And every human being would be wiped off the earth if God did not intervene and stop it. That's what Jesus said. And so he said... God will bring you down and you'll be few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. You'll be taken off into slavery, obviously. And there you will serve gods, pagan gods, the work of men's hands. And there they will probably have to serve the gods of this great false church. They don't want to be beat up. But from there, finally, some of them are going to wake up and they'll remember what they heard from Mr. Armstrong. And they'll remember what they perhaps have heard from Mr. Ames and me and Dr. Manale and... Mr. Crockett and Mr. Apartheon and and Mr. O'Gwen and his ministry and Mr. Millich and Greer, Mr. Tyler, Mr. Hull, all of our ministers around the world. Then remember, these things will come back to mind, to some of them. And from there you will seek the eternal your God and you will find him, how? If you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. And if you cry out with your whole being, say, God, please have mercy. Please hear me. I'm so sorry. I should have listened back then. I didn't. Please help me now. And then you will beg God to hear you at that time. He's telling these people. And I mean it. They're going to have to cry out in a way they have never cried out. No more little games. No more little games. The vast majority of the ministry and priests all over America, they know which day is the seventh day Sabbath, but they don't observe it. They know the Trinity. We're reading this article today, my wife and me, about this uh, head of the Department of Theology up here, good friend of my friend, Dr. Tabor, Bart Ehrman, or Ehrman, whatever he is, and how he was quoting these sources that showed that the Trinity is just not in the Bible at all. They know that. They know that stuff. But they don't follow what they know. They water it down. They love the pleasure of men more than the praise of God. The praise of men, I should say, more than the praise of God. That's what people do. That's what many of the people in Worldwide did. Because the leadership was going along, and I talked to one evangelist who was telling me what's going on. I said, we've got to leave. And all of a sudden, he began to backpedal and crawfish, as we used to say back in Missouri, crawl back under a rock. Well, you know, we all have jobs, and we've got families, and so on. Oh, I see. Let's take care of number one. I said, no, we've got to revive the work. George, his name was not George. We've got to revive the work. These men are tearing it to feet. Well, no, I said. So he's still there. They didn't have courage. But he's going to have to repent powerfully someday. And lots of these other people. You will find him if you seek him with all your heart and all your soul. When you're in distress and all these things come upon you in the latter days. This is our time today when you turn to the eternal, your God, and obey his voice. So he's talking about our time today, antitypically. And many other scriptures and prophecies, you know, are written like that. They have an immediate fulfillment or fulfillment back then and then an end time fulfillment as well. Yes, you have to turn to God with all your being. Will God help you, all you young people even now, to wake up to what I'm saying and turn back to God with all your heart and all your soul even now? Not too late at all. God will forgive you. Repent and be baptized. Ask God about it. Think about it. Go through Mr. Gwynn's wonderful correspondence course. Start studying it lesson by lesson. Think. Say, God, teach me. Guide me. Clean my mind. Wake me up. Help me understand. And God will be with you and bring you to repentance if you seek him with your whole heart back in Jeremiah chapter 50 let's turn to Jeremiah here chapter 50 brethren and of course uh, another prophecy beginning in verse 4 the first few verses are talking about Babylon ancient Babylon being destroyed and typically modern Babylon as well then in verse 4 In those days and in that time, he's talking about the final destruction of Babylon over in Europe and the ultimate fulfillment. In those days and in that time, says the ever-living one, the children of Israel shall come, they and the children of Judah together. Oh, you see, this is definitely the end time fulfillment. They did not come back before together ever. They are going to come at the time of the end. With continual weeping they shall come. Yes, they're finally going to repent. And seek. Yes, cry out to God. Beg God. Help. Ask God for mercy and help. Seek the eternal their God. And they shall ask the way to Zion with their faces toward it, saying, Come and let us join ourselves to the eternal in a perpetual covenant that will not be forgotten. Yes, that's what's going to happen. So I challenge all of you in this room You young people especially, you young people around the whole world, listen, think, open your mind, think about what's ahead, the reality of what God says in the Bible, watch it unfold just before your eyes as the American and British descended people start down and down and these other nations go up and we don't know why. Why is this happening and that happening? How come our programs all seem to go to nothing and be in trouble all over the world? How come the dollar is going to continue to sink? How come President Bush's drive for democracy is not going to work? How come we're going to be hated more and be pushed out here and pushed down there? How come Britain's going to be pushed out of the common market or get out and be put down over the next several years? Not months, but years. But of several years, five or seven years is not forever. It goes by pretty quick when you're older. Watch these things, all these things unfold before your eyes, as God's church has said. God is real. He's intervening, and he's asking all of us to give our hearts and minds to him with our whole being, not to mess around anymore, to be clean. Be ye clean that bear the vessels of the eternal, God tells us. We are the servants of the living God. Let's be clean and pure and right, and instruments that God can use, an instrument that God can honor in that way. So let's go and make a perpetual covenant ourselves with God, And the basic covenant all of us have made, and some of us maybe should renew in our prayers and fasting, or some of you younger people may never made, that covenant is baptism. At baptism, you fully repent and literally give your life to God and say, it's not my life anymore, Father, it's your life. And you make a covenant with your Creator to consider from that day on your life is not your life. Your life belongs to Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who is to live his life in you. So have the fear of God in the right way. That's reality. And look forward to the kingdom of God. And be ye clean that bear the vessels of the eternal.